Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 15. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, it's going great, John. Full disclosure, we are both VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. Hopefully our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great. That that opening is uh, growing and growing. It I'm, I'm happy with it. It's 15 uh, episodes in, 16, 17. I don't know how many. Yeah. But uh, it's it's working. You might almost call it a habit was, that was put in place by iteration. <laughs> you might. You might indeed. It's just my opinion. <laughs> All right. We are going to get to topics. Um, the first topic that we have is some interview myths that we saw in a Washington Post uh, article. Um, very, very interesting. And second topic, uh, problems with one's boss, what to do, how to handle them, um, a very specific situation, um, and then maybe an article that might help, and then uh, our reactions to it. So with that in mind, let's get to the first topic, interview myths. So this specific topic is uh, from the Washington Post Careers blog. Um, going back to that, well, again, it's it's just a really good, <laughs> really good uh, career blog. Um, we're not going to turn this podcast into John and Nick react to the Washington Post, but uh, for what it is, it, they've had some uh, great articles. We um, are today, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it is today. That's for that's for sure. Uh, so the the article. Um, in the show notes, we're going to have the link. It's titled Five Myths About Interviews You'll Want to Stop Believing. And I think that we both looked at this and went, again, not not a career clickbait, an actual good article with the good, strong content. And uh, we wanted to make sure to highlight the the really, you know, the strongest points and bring them to you. Is that uh, fair to say, Nick? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we we wouldn't put it out there if we didn't think it was interesting to us, number one, and potentially helpful to our listeners. Awesome. Cool. So the first myth, your interviewer is completely prepared. This is hilarious <laughs> because it is true. You assume, you know, you are in a um, role where you're, seeking a, a new position potentially and you assume that they're ready to interview you when you call in or show up in person and that is not necessarily true <laughs> and uh i just thought that it was really interesting to um kind of call that out and um not only that to to you know <laughs> make make it clear that you know that's the case and and to kind of expect it and maybe to have some ideas on what to do you know, if that, you know, you show up for an interview and that is the case. Has that ever happened to you? Like you show up and you're like, wait a minute, this person isn't, doesn't know who I am. They haven't read my resume that, you know, they're not ready for this. You know, I don't think it has. I was actually going to ask you the same question, but you beat me to it. Now, I, I cannot think of a time where I ended up meeting with someone who was unprepared, but I feel like there may have been a time or two where I was somewhat unprepared to interview someone, you know, I thought I had it down and then it didn't go maybe the way I wanted to, or I didn't remember all the questions I wanted to ask, but um, hopefully I wasn't completely clueless during those times. Ah, that's very interesting. I hadn't even thought to ask you that question. If you'd been in on a, a review for, or an interview for somebody and, and then found yourself unprepared. It, it's, it's actually not that, uncommon right to have something on your schedule you go oh i'm blocked off and you look at it and it's like oh you're supposed you're supposed to be interviewing somebody and here's the attached resume 
And it's like, okay, um, <laughs> what's the position? <laughs> you know, do we have the job description that we posted? Uh, you know, um, and uh, have I read the resume? No. So I need five minutes to get oriented. And, you know, sometimes that's why you're, Interviewers running late too. So, <laughs> oh sure, and you know maybe it's one of those things where you're second in command and your boss unloads it on you two hours before or an hour before. Hey, I really need you to interview this person. I can't do it. Do you mind making that happen? Sure. What do I need to know? Right. Oh, well, here here's the resume. Just make sure you read it. Okay. You know, <laughs> and then they walk away. Here's the resume. Yeah, here's the resume, but I'm not going to give you the job description and the the post that we put out on what we're looking for when we're hiring, right? And I'm not going to brief you at all on the kind of person that I'm looking for or, or what I think they need to be able to do. Yeah, it, it absolutely happens. Um, and so, you know, and heck, we, we are in a tech company. I think that it's not uncommon in larger companies to have uh, not just a hiring manager do the interview, but have uh, some peers on the team and maybe a manager from a different team and, you know, somebody that you'll be interacting with uh, quite a bit. Um, solution engineers, for example, at VMware, probably, uh, I would say it's not uncommon to have a salesperson on that interview round of interviews, um, especially if, you know, there's a specific salesperson that you're definitely going to be working with. So, yeah, um, that makes sense. And yeah. at a smaller company, it, it may just be as simple as, you know, you meet with the HR person and or the hiring manager, and then maybe you meet with one of the higher ups and that's it. Yeah. Just it, yeah. The answer is it depends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe rather than spending any more time speculating about why this might have happened, we could have some ideas on what to do if you sense that this is the situation. Like the person might just flat out tell you and as they're saying down, geez, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was going to be interviewing you today and I'm a little bit out of sorts, but you know, let's get started. Tell me about yourself. Um, I think that it's very, very important to have an elevator pitch on yourself kind of locked and loaded. And what I mean by that is you've read the job description and that's something that maybe you should, you know, have captured and, and printed out, you know, just like you have another copy of uh, your resume, maybe you should have a copy of the job description that you take with you so you can hand over to the person who's doing the interview. And then you can, you know, give them another copy of your resume, you know, um, and uh, if they don't have that either, and uh, talk about how your experience and skills uh, match up to the job description that was posted and your understanding of what the company does and, and how, you know, what the role is and, and how you can f best fit that role. Um, and, and just be ready to answer all the questions that you're, you wish that you were being asked or that you think probably should be asked. And the, the person who's giving the, you know, doing the interview might get there, right? They might, get up to speed and get in the groove and go, okay, you know, I've done this before now, you know, I'm, I'm oriented and I have a better idea on who you are and kind of take, take the lead back on the interview. But if they are just totally unprepared and heck, this might be one of the first few times that they've ever done this, you have to be able to run the interview, you know, say, um, you know, this is why I should, you know, why I think I'd be a good fit for this job. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, if you had all that stuff prepared to hand to somebody, someone to help them out uh, to get the interview going, that you would hope that would score you some bonus points and turn their head. You know, I really like that candidate. They were very prepared and seemed to know themselves well. They understood the company, understood the role. And this is actually leaking into myth number two here about interview questions have correct and incorrect answers. You know, everything you said about matching rules and responsibilities with how you would be a good fit for the job and the company, you know, fits with busting that particular myth um, in the article, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, I think that the idea, I, I think I, I've definitely seen this online, you know, people get uh, caught up with, you know, how to answer this question, you know, the right way. 
and really <laughs> most interview correction interview questions are designed to elicit um, information about the candidate right the candidate's personality uh, how the candidate is organized or not organized or what methodology um, you know just those types of uh, pieces of information that get put together to make a whole picture. So this idea that, you know, there's a perfect answer. I I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, there's a bunch of uh, posts around the perfect answer to the sell me this pencil or sell me this pen interview question for salespeople. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's so annoying to to see that people have put so much time and effort into into kind of like gaming they think they're gaming the system by by looking up these answers or or asking other people about the answers that they've given you know the, these questions are designed to you know figure out something about you as a candidate so why don't you spend your time trying to figure out what it is that they're trying to find out about you and then give that information. That's just kind of my take on it. Sure. And I would say that, you know, you mentioned the elevator pitch about yourself. You need to learn how to tell your story in a way that it's relevant to the role you're applying for and the company you're applying for. If you have never listened to the geek whisperers podcast, go back and listen to the episodes from the Silicon Valley V mug where they did a speed dating resume review for people, talk to them about what they wanted to do. And, you know, Matt Broberg talks a lot about he, he had spoken with someone and this gentleman didn't realize that he was telling his own story by just reviewing some of the things he's done. He didn't think about mentioning different distributions of Linux. He just wrote, he was a Linux admin, but having experience over all those distributions really made a difference and made him stand out for, you know, a different type of role. So I definitely go back and, and listen to that because those, those are one of my, those are two of my favorite podcasts of all time. Very, very good. Yeah, those are awesome. I think we've talked about those before, but we should, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to, to those episodes again. Uh, That was really great. I, I think, um, it, you know, on my wish list of things to do would be to do something like that eventually. <laughs> I mean, I've done it at, at kind of, you know, colleges and universities to kind of uh, give mock interviews and and uh, resume reviews. Um, but it would be really cool to do on a peer-to-peer basis um, sure. for the community. So yeah. we should figure out how to do that. I like it. Where and when. Nice. Yeah, I... I, I would say like another resource would be managertools.com again. Um, again, this is a, a site that, you know, going back to the well, like they, they have great content and they have for like, you know, well over a decade and they have an entire bank of podcasts that they've done on interviews and interview questions. Um, and some of them are, you know, very well known, well worn questions. And, it might not be immediately obvious to a candidate what the interview is trying to get from the question, you know, but you kind of need to think about it ahead of time. If you understand the point, like there's kind of a famous one, like uh, tell me about a time that you had a conflict with a teammate and what you did about it. Right. Um, like this is something that you should be prepped for, right. That, that almost every, um, job interview cycle, eventually something like that's going to, going to come up, you know, maybe a conflict, maybe not with a team teammate, but with, uh, with a manager or a team lead, you know, how did you handle that? So, you know, think about those situations. Um, you know, what is the goal of, of the, uh, the, the interviewer when they're asking you about that and then have something locked and loaded from your actual career where that's happened and, and how you handled it. Right. Um, and again, there, there's a, an entire bank of podcasts about that. It's not about finding the right answer. It's about, you know, finding something in your experience in your past that's, that's relevant to the position that reveals something important about you and which will help them understand that you're a really good candidate for the position. So 
I feel like we've kind of gone on and about this one, but this was, I think, one of the more important uh, points in this article. So, uh, myth number three, let the interviewer ask all the questions. I think that we just covered this in episode 11. Um, we did an entire section on questions that you should um, be ready to ask an interviewer. And, and I think we noted at the time that it was actually all really important information that you kind of needed to come out um, with after a round of interviewers. You know, sometimes it's to... Uh, questions that you're asking an NHR person, and sometimes it's a hiring manager, and sometimes it's a, a peer if they have peer interviews. But but all of the you know that information is is really important uh, to have, and you know it's it's a two way street, right? Um, some of it is information that's uh, you're trying you are revealing about yourself. You know that's the the interviewer's job, and you know sometimes you're compensating if they're not prepared, as we already talked about. Um, but uh, you know, there, there is information about the organization, about the position, about the culture that you should be extracting during that interview process. Myth number four, the most qualified candidate gets the job every time. <laughs> this is uh, one where I'm, I'm kind of laughing uh, because um, there's this uh, idea that, uh, you know, things are never fair in life. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly where I saw it, but, um, you know, that's, that's a lesson that we have to learn early and it's, it's not a lesson that we, uh, always learn. Right. Um, I just wanted to jump in real quick, you know, in, in this particular case, you know, we said we have job descriptions, roles and responsibilities, but, you know, at the end of the day, these things are subjective and they're based on the people doing the hiring, whether they like the person, think they can do the job. So, you know, what is most qualified? It, it may actually be something different to, to those folks than folks at a different company, even if the job description reads exactly the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like... There's so much subjectivity. I think that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, they might be valuing or weighting things that you're not aware of, you know, differently. And that makes somebody else a, you know, better candidate. That That's always a possibility. And another possibility is, you know, that, it, you know, the, somebody's finger was on the scale and it wasn't a fair process to begin with. And uh, maybe you are the best candidate and you're still not going to get the job. And that happens. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it also helps to think about there not being one perfect job and one perfect opportunity that, you know, has come up and, uh, and oh, that was the only chance that I'm ever going to get. You know, there's just a spectrum of positions and, uh, and opportunities out there. And, uh, you know, you're, you're never going it, to, it's, there's, there's no like one time. I, I don't know. I think I applied to become a VMware SE like eight times. Right. And it was the eighth time that I got it. And, you know, maybe five of those times I got no response at all. <laughs> right. So, uh, sure. um, and now that I think about it, there's probably seven of those times that I got no response at all. Yeah. It's a tough world out there, man, for sure. Especially, and jobs that many folks want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, it's just a mindset, right? Um, the, it's also a really uh, hot job market. There's just a ton of opportunities and um, not a lot of people available to fill those positions. So, you know, in 2018, where we are, it is a candidate's market, but that doesn't mean that, you know, um, finding a job is easy. You know, companies are so selective, but it's probably a, a good time to stretch a little bit, um, you know, to find a, an organization that's willing to invest in you to maybe grow you into the position. So um, it, it still still means that, uh, you know, you, you have to think about, you um, 
you know, just to get back to the, you know, whether or not you're the most qualified candidate, it, you know, you, you need to understand that the organizations may be um, weighing things a little bit differently in their minds, you know, than how you're weighing things in your mind. And, you know, just because you got the, didn't get the job didn't mean like that it, that you weren't the most qualified candidate and that you should be down on yourself. So with that in mind, myth number five, thank you notes are no longer required. Nick, you have a pretty strong opinion on this, right? I definitely do. You know, it's, it's not really hard to tell someone, thank you, that you appreciate their time, but there's something pretty impressive about the handwritten thank you card that, you know, most people aren't expecting that. And perhaps even more people aren't doing that. And I can tell you from experience that it can make a difference for sure. Hmm. So, And, you know, when I say thank you card, I mean just a simple, hey, thanks thanks for the time. I appreciate the chance to, to chat with you and, and learn from you. Nothing more. You know, you're not, you're not acting out of desperation. It's a simple thank you for your time and, you know, kind of a psychological thing so that they remember you a little bit more perhaps, right? Absolutely. I think that um, it's a step that people tend to not take. And so doing so helps you stand out. And I think that you're right. It's it's very simple, you know, short professional note. Um, I think uh, handwritten will really stick in somebody's mind, right? It's uh, it's yet another way to stand out from the crowd. Um, and again, in this hot job market where maybe companies are looking to, you know, stretch a little bit and say, well, maybe this person isn't the ideal candidate, but I can definitely see how they'd grow into the job. You know, uh, a thank you note can, I think, really help in that situation, especially if you're a customer facing position that you're interviewing for. Um, it helps to demonstrate, you know, how you are going to act in front of customers eventually. And and that's, you know, maybe that's the company, the customers of the company, but it could also be, you know, internal customers if you're in a internal uh, service position as well. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, Nick, but yeah, that's, that's how my, does. my mind works. And it yeah. shows that you're someone with a unique identity. You have a personality, you, you know, you have some some empathy, some manners. You're not just uh, another person that they talk to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because one of the stresses that people go through is um, how to stand out. And this is, a, I think, should be a fairly simple way to stand out. And people still don't do it. Still do not do it. Um, anyway. You know, those are five myths. I think um, it's probably going to be part of our ongoing process of thinking about interviewing and going over it with, you know, the community to kind of, you know, deconstruct um, that process of interviewing for a new position, uh, whether it's inside or outside your your current organization. So um, anything else pop in your mind before we move on? No. I think the first edition of Nerd Journey Mythbusters went well. <laughs> okay, great. In that case, let's move on to our second topic, boss problems. Um, so the the kind of kernel of this topic came when um, we were reading this uh, post inside the Spiceworks community. Uh, the title of the post was Dear Spice Rex, I think that's a series that they do where people anonymously write in for uh, career advice. Dear Spice Rex, my boss is slacking. And so this is just to give a brief summary of the situation. Uh, this is an employee at a nonprofit who's worked there for about eight years. Uh, their boss came on to the organization about halfway through that time, uh, initially worked you know, regular hours for a few months and then started to drift towards like a 25 hour a week schedule coming in, like maybe at 11, taking an hour lunch, uh, leaving at four. Um, other complaints just about 
you know, the boss being uh, manipulative and, and making the higher ups think that, you know, the, the organization is, is running smoothly. And the reason that the organization is running smoothly, according to the letter writer, is that, you know, um, the letter writer and other members of the team are, are working to compensate for the boss not being around and really looking for advice on what to do. Um, person seems to be on the verge of like, you know, how do I, how to get this person fired and uh, what's the right way to do that? So that's kind of the idea. It's a, it's a rough situation. We're going to put the, um, the link to the article in the show notes. If you're interested in, in an interesting, <laughs> in an exercise, you know, uh, kind of pause here, go read that um, article, and then maybe um, join us in reading this uh, second article, um, How to Manage Upward If You Have a Bad Boss, also from the Washington Post career blog. Uh, today is definitely a John and Nick react to the Washington Post. Um, so we are not going to give our opinions on this situation until after we talk uh, about this second article, and maybe you know, you as a listener can think about that situation, how you would react to it and what you think is the right, you know, the right course of action. So the first step in this, uh, you know, kind of bullet point in the Washington Post article is uh, talk to your boss to establish common ground. Um, I think this is always important. Uh, you know, you need to have a, a good relationship with your manager. Um, you might disagree with how they're carrying themselves professionally, but, um, you know, it's still really important. So at any rate, yes, I think that having a good common ground and, you know, pre-existing good relationship with your manager is really important. I'm not sure that it's going to be helpful for this specific person and this specific uh, situation if, you know, the, the issue is strong resentment about the manager not being around. Um, and, you know, it just a, a lot uh, and, and the, the main desire to have the person, you know, fired and replaced. So I, I, I don't know. What is, what is your reaction to that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also say that probably not everyone does this in the beginning, you know, because we just kind of feel like we're, or maybe we feel like we're at the boss's mercy and we don't have any say, you know, back to the episode where we talked about the one-on-ones where you're bringing questions to ask and it's not just your boss asking you for things. So that, that probably should have been established very early on. And then maybe by this point there wouldn't be resentment because the relationship would be better. And again, just speculation. It may not have been better, but that's just my take. Yeah, I would say that at the point where you have a lot of resentment about your manager, um, that's the wrong time to start a relationship with your manager. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to have laid the groundwork um, before things you know went bad, maybe, and then at least you have a place to uh, talk from. Right, a, a pre-existing good relationship. If you have a pre-existing good relationship, then you could maybe go out to lunch together, and you could say, "Hey, you know, now that we're away from the office, you know, is there anything going wrong? Uh, you know, just personally, just you know, I, you know, just noticed that you haven't been around as much lately, and I just wanted to make sure everything was okay." And and again, it, that's about expressing care for that person as opposed to expressing your own resentment about that person. So, um, but again way too late once you're already resentful um, and your desire for that person to be fired. Yeah. And that goes into point two about not being afraid to voice your frustrations, but know the time and the place. So if you're already frustrated, your frustrations, uh, you know, if you've been frustrated for a while, those frustrations will likely magnify and perhaps it won't come out in a constructive way, I would think. And yeah, absolutely. You know, and you may not know your boss well enough to know if it's the right time to have that conversation because you kind of have to know the other person a little bit about what makes them tick. And as you said, maybe get out of the office and just spend some time getting to know them as a human. 
Right. So I think that in this situation, what the letter writer could do is react to the effects of the situation and not the, what they perceive as the causes. So they could say, hey, um, I'm a little bit buried and I feel like, you know, there's a lot of work that I have to do um, and not say, hey, I'm buried because you're not here and I'm picking up a lot of your slack. Like that is, you know, not that's confrontational. Um, so I think it really needs to be about effects. This is my workload. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what we can do about it, but I think that it's not the right level. So, yeah, I don't know if that, that makes sense to you. Absolutely. I think that's very good. And, you know, depending on the rapport with your boss, they may even take the objective description as confrontational. Hey, it's tough to say when you're not in the situation, but, but I like the tactic for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it's just, you know, general guidance, um, uh, you know, talk about the situation that you're in and not your perception of the causes. Um, especially if the, your perception of the causes involve other people. Um, you know, so I think maybe what I'm saying is you want to avoid bad mouthing teammates or, um, you know, outside influences and just say, Hey, you know, here's where I am. I'm having to work 60 hours instead of 40 hours. And, uh, I don't really think that that's sustainable. You know, my relationships at home are suffering or, or however, however that is, I, I need some guidance. I need some help. I need some coaching. Um, um, you know, just that. Absolutely. So the next point was to set up skip level meetings. And I think that, I think that this is a good idea, but it's also a trap, right? Um, so setting up skip level meetings, uh, skips are means uh, not your manager, but your manager's manager. So the general guidance here is to, to have some kind of relationship with your manager's manager um, just uh, for, you know, uh, in general, like that, that's always a really good thing to have. I think the trap is to complain to complain to your manager's manager about your manager. <laughs> yeah, Say, don't my do boss that. is slacking. <laughs> yeah, very good advice. Don't do that. Right. Um, you know, the types of things that you could talk about there are, you know, market trends, uh, company trends, um, uh, maybe some structural things. If you, you have some perceptions about, Hey, you know, structurally, I'm not sure why we're organized to do this instead of that. And maybe get some, you know, philosophical guidance, uh, from your skip. Uh, but, uh, bad mouthing your manager, probably not the, uh, you know, I, so here's no, like, not probably definitely not <laughs> the way to go. Definitely not. Here's, Here's the one thing that I think I might have even posted on the thread to say, if your skip comes to you and says, hey, listen, um, I've perceived that there's a problem in the department. I think that, you know, you have a person managing you who is, you know, kind of absent and I need for you to objectively tell me, you know, what's going on in this situation. Um, then maybe in that situation, it would be okay. And maybe even your responsibility to say, here's my observation. I just, you know, I didn't know what kind of, um, you know, arrangement the two of you had, uh, you know, maybe my boss was on, you know, part-time, you know, because of a family emergency, you know, and it just wasn't my place to question, but here's what's been going on uh, and, and not unload maybe in that situation. But again, that's like such a narrow situation, right? It's, it's also almost the ideal situation. The decision's already been made. You're just being interviewed as like backup information on, on this decision. Right. And again, try to paint the objective picture. That's what you really want to do. And you know, when you're talking about a skip level interaction, it doesn't have to be a formal one-on-one, -on -one. as you said, you know, just, talk to this person that's your manager's manager. Maybe you see him in the break room, say hi, get to know him a little bit. You can talk about things that aren't even work-related. And there may be times when 
you know, that person is asking something of your boss and then they don't have time to do it or whatever. And it rolls down to you. So make sure that, you know, you take the time to, to take care of that person, do what they ask, get clarification if you need it. And that will give you some idea of what their expectations of people under them are and how to better interact with that person. Yeah, man, that's really great advice. Um, really seeding the ground for a better relationship over the long term. Um, but again, you know, the point where you have this frustration or this letter writer has this immediate frustration with their manager, you know, and it's, it's festered to the point where they, you know, are this poisoned? Like that's not the point that you start having these relationships, right? No. These are just best practices to have whether or not things are going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at the point where you get enough frustration to like go walk into somebody's office and be like, look, you need to get rid of this person under you because of X, Y, Z. That's <laughs> then you probably are going to get walked out. Yeah. Very good point. And I think maybe that point, of, um, you know, these, this is all just good general advice to, to do whether or not things are going wrong, you know, especially when things are going well, uh, the next point, create a career path for yourself. Um, and that can be within the organization or outside the organization. Um, you know, maintaining relationships with people, you know, outside, um, knowing where you're going, uh, your next move is inside the organization, having professional goals, and, uh, you know, goals that you're tracking and setting and, and are being reviewed by somebody, whether that's your manager or your skip, you know, that may be a, a great conversation to have with that skip is, hey, you know, I, I have some career goals and, and, you know, development goals that I reviewed with my manager, but I would, I really uh, value your feedback as well. You know, that, that's all stuff to do. Um, not, again, <laughs> once things have gone bad, but when things are going well, you know, well ahead of time. That actually reminds me that I need to do this. (laughs) Have my, have my development uh, goals uh, outlined. I already have those, but then go to my skip and uh, say, Hey, you know, can you give me some feedback on these? Are there things I should be adding? You know, maybe not this round or this year, but in next year, previous, you know, years after that. Yeah, absolutely. You have to let us know how that goes. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. And then uh, I think that goes hand in hand with this next point, which is build a tier of support around you. Uh, mentors, sponsors, connections, um, you know, people inside the team that maybe you could have candid conversations off campus, you know, with, uh, you know, avoiding being poisonous. Um, but, you know, saying, Hey, can you just, this is my perception of what's going on. Am I way off base here? Is, is that something that you're, uh, you're seeing as well? I just, I need to make sure that I'm not, you know, making this up in my head. Right. Um, uh, and then people outside your organization too. Sure. And you, you have to be careful here because obviously we all need to vent and someone we need someone to listen to us at times when we're frustrated just to get it out and a sanity check. You know, you 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 may need someone else to tell you if you've jumped into the chasm of gossip because you you don't want that. You know, you don't you don't want to be that person. Yeah, absolutely. And uh we had episode 7 about professional networking. So maybe, you know, you can uh, kind of look there to see, you know, about our advice and our reactions to how to kickstart that professional networking. Um, That would probably be pretty useful to review, Um, building that tier support. And that tier support, you know, professionally, personally, you know, it could be, um, you know, some other social setting, you know, friends from school, you know, you're... Uh, somebody outside your organization, uh, your spouse, uh, if you're a churchgoer, somebody at your church who can just give you objective feedback. Um, and maybe you have a professional career coach. I mean, even that's a good idea. I've done that in the past. Sure. I like that last sentence about be willing to take the advice if you're asking for it. You know, you can't just vent to everybody and ask for their feedback and everybody gives you feedback and you don't change anything. 
I mean, you can, but it's it's not going to help you to not be willing to make a change to potentially improve the situation. Definitely, definitely. Um, and maybe that rolls into our actual feedback on this because, you know, um, if you're playing along at home, maybe you can uh, figure out what, uh, decide what your advice is for this uh, person, you know, not just uh, not just what you think our advice is and, and think about, you know, maybe writing that down uh, before we go on. My advice Actually, Nick, why don't you go first? Did you did you have uh, specific actionable things that you think should go on? Yeah. So, you know, the person who wrote the letter said the manager was not around a lot of times. Okay. It's probably going to happen where people are going to ask, hey, where is this person? Or I really need to talk to this person. So when they say, where is this person? Hey, I'm not sure. I really need to talk to this person. Well, you know, they're not here right now. Uh, I'm not sure when they'll be back, but you might try calling or emailing. I'm sure they'll they'll get back to you in a timely manner. But my advice is if someone is coming to you with something your manager should or normally does that you just can't do or don't know how to handle, you shouldn't feel like you need to handle it. I think that you should direct the person to go to your manager with the problem and perhaps if they can't contact your manager, they need to go up one level instead of coming to you. Yeah, you don't go down, you go up, right? Right. Now, there may be certain problems that maybe it's a technical issue and, and somebody needs help and it's a training adjacency and you back your manager up in this area. Oh, okay, yeah, I can fix that for you, no problem. Maybe that's not a big deal, but you, you don't have to be the hero to everybody. You know, you, you don't mm. want to, you don't want to fall into the, the adrenaline rush of solving everybody's problem because they can't find your manager because that, that road will lead you to being jaded and being um, just upset about the way things are. If, if it continues, cause you're going to burn your candle at both ends and you're going to have some resentment. So, it's a it's a fine line to walk, but I, I think you you need to be careful what you say about your manager, whether they're you know supposed to be there or not. They're just not. Like you don't know the reason, don't speculate. Right. Because you don't know what's going on or what agreement they might have had with their manager. And mm-hmm. You know, it may not be any of your business, actually. <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah. that's my take. I'll step down off the soapbox and let you have a turn. No, I think, you know, just my refinement on what you said is um, uh, just a clarification. Like you said, hey, you know, my manager, you know, if your manager isn't here right now, you say, you know, he's not around. She's not around. Uh, and I think one of the pieces of advice in the thread, like down thread, was to kind of say, um, I haven't seen my manager today. Um, I don't think that, you know, he's here today yet or he hasn't come in yet. I think that that's poisonous, right? So my like first general guidance is to not badmouth the manager. Um, you know, maybe the only appropriate way to do it was this in this anonymous letter, right? To a group of people, um, that, you know, don't know who you are and it's not ever going to get back. Um, uh, because you know, it, it doesn't look good. You know, there's even, even like the most subtle, ah, you know, he's not here today or I don't think he's in yet. You know, if it's 11 o'clock and you're saying your manager's not in yet, you're saying something about your manager, right? Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying, you know, don't, don't bad mouth the manager like that. That's not, not going to be a good look pretty much ever. So even those uh, simple words, like you have to be, you have to train yourself to answer that question the right way. That's not, (laughs) that's not something mm -hmm. you're always going to remember to do. So just be careful. Think before you speak. We don't always do it as humans. Yeah. You have to be really, really careful. Um, uh, I would say you mentioned not falling for that hero complex. Um, 
I'm going to put a link to episode 11. You know, we had a section about the hero complex there. Um, I think we covered it really, really well. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe part of the letter writer's frustration is that, you know, their job has been impacted by their manager's absence. If they are the backup on some specific tasks, um, you know, maybe that's causing them to, you know, become the main person on those tasks because the manager is not there. Um, but, you know, that's just speculation. I, I think in general, you know, you don't take on the manager's work. I think that's a really good point. Um, and uh, I think, you know, my second piece of advice is to document how the manager's absence is impacting your personal performance, right? Um, and that meaning uh, if you are not able to accomplish your tasks because your manager is not there or is slow to respond on approving something or they ha need to give their input on something and and they just are not doing it, then you need to document that. Well, I needed your response from my immediate manager to accomplish this task. Um, I didn't hear back for two days. And as a result, you know, it was uh, two days until I could, you know, act on it. So I think those types of things are pretty important uh, because when it comes to a personal job review, um, you need to have the documentation, you know, to uh, really lay out, you know, why your perform personal performance is, is acting the way it is. Yeah, that's really good. I also think that, um, you know, again, something you said, Nick, which was, you know, if you're the backup for some of your manager's tasks, you know, you need to document, you know, hey, I have, you know, this many tasks for my primary job role and yet, you know, I'm the backup on this other role and that is starting to grow, you know, past 10 hours a week, past 15 hours a week, past 20 hours a week. So I feel like I'm doing, you know, a job and a half. I have my 40 hour a week job and then 20 hours backing up this other task. And so when you have a conversation, you know, it's something that you can document and you say, well, you know, this many I had to handle this many, you know, architectural tickets, you know, that's normally my manager's uh, uh, job, but it's something that I had to do for, you know, 20 hours a week for the past, you know, nine weeks or, well, three years in this letter writer's um, situation, what they're describing. But it just needs to be documented and it needs to be backed up. Um, and it needs to be something that you can pull out and um, address in a uh, performance review. So. And then my third piece of advice is really based on, you know, creating that career path in the Washington Post article. Um, I, I want to say like the most blunt way to put it would probably be find a new job. Um, this letter writer seems to have gotten into really poisonous uh, situation. You know, maybe it is exactly the way it is. Um, maybe not. But whatever it is, like, it's not sustainable, right? They have a manager who, like this, again, the letter writer kind of feels like, you know, they're overworked and the entire department is overworked because the manager isn't doing the manager's job. Well, you know, no matter how much the letter writer might like the organization and the goals of the organization and believe in that organization, you, you're not, you can't sustain your position in an organization, if you have a manager who is overworking you or is absent, and as a result, you have to do a job and a half or, you know, whatever that situation is. Um, so um, I think that in that situation, you know, you need to find a new position. And I think we just talked about it. It's a hot job market. There's a lot of positions out there. You know, I, I'm kind of hate to say like, hey, you should just quit. I mean, I'm not saying you should just quit. You should find a new job. And then, you know, once that's solid, then, you know, you need to give notice at the, at the uh, current position, but um, it's time for a change. Uh, and that's, that's my yeah. opinion. I don't, I, I would agree. You know, it, it sounds like there's the only way to fix the resentment and everything is to get out of the situation. There is a lot of uh, recommendations in that thread about all the documentation that a person should collect to get the person fired. I think that is a 
dramatic mistake. <laughs> um, that is, that might, it might even work, but it's never going to be a good outcome, right? You could walk into your skip level boss's office and say, here's, here's an entire portfolio I've collected of, you know, my manager uh, not doing their job and how it's impacted the department and me personally. And I think you should fire them. And it might even, <laughs> in some, you know, fantasy situations, it might even work. But you've now set yourself up as somebody who will do that, right? And that is not a good position to be in. No. Nope. It's, it's much, much better to leave gracefully. And even in your exit interview, if you're asked about it, you can just say, listen, I, you know, I just found a growth position. I, you know, I didn't think that, you know, uh, the current situation was right for me and I found a better one. You know, even, even that might be too much to say, <laughs> but, uh, you know, don't badmouth your manager, even on the way out. You know, you just don't know what's going on. Agreed. All right. Um, so we would both be really interested to hear your takes on this situation. Um, you know, there's a whole thread about it. Um, if you feel so inclined that you can always uh, respond in that thread, but we would be really interested in hearing from you um, via Twitter or LinkedIn message or direct message on Twitter, uh, what your reaction is. And, and maybe we can even uh, kind of, assemble those reactions and, and uh, talk about general reactions and general trends that we heard from our community in a future episode. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you're in a difficult situation out there, there's no reason you can't sign up for the John White School of Mentoring today by sending a DM to at Dirt Journey. I'd be happy to talk to you about pricing, packaging, and our array of courses and opportunities to get some of John's time and pick his brain on these types of problems. So keep that in mind, folks. Oh my goodness. So now, now I have to come up with courses too. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's, it's all there. It's all there in your brain, John. We just have to release it. That's all. All right. All right. Well, Nick, uh, I think that's it for that segment. And as a result, that's all the topics we had prepared. Um, anything else that pops in your mind before we move on? The only thing I might say is, it, you know, if you're in a tough spot and you want some advice, but you want it anonymized, you're welcome to DM us. And, you know, if you trust us enough, we'll anonymize it and try to give advice on the air or, you know, we'll try to give advice on a conference call or something. Anyway, we're here for you yeah. and other community members, I'm sure, would do the same. But I digress. Here's a reminder that we definitely want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.